स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट हेलो एंड वेलकम टू टेल मी हाउ यू डेट इट आई एम नम्रता सकारिया एंड आई एम हियर टू ब्रिंग टू यू माई हैंड पिक लिस्ट ऑफ सम ऑफ इंडिया फाइनेस्ट ब्रांड्स यस आर बेस्ट होम ग्रोन कंपनीज that can compete with the world's best and still win the battle hands down these companies range from food fashion and film to home art and design i'm only too happy to talk to the founders who not only chased their rainbows they also made india proud make sure you tune in at htsmartcast.com week after week to shake the hands that built our best businesses listen to them tell me how they did it There is so much nostalgia for me around Theo Broma, the iconic but very young Mumbai patisserie. I went to school with the founding sisters, the Mesmin girls. The school was a lovely little convent in Kulaba uh, with an elegant church right next door. The Mesmins lived close by and their mom Kamal made the best cakes. By the time we were grown up, the sisters Kainas and Tina had opened a charming little patisserie in Kulaba again. Their brownies were ridiculously good, and their fame grew far and wide. Theo Broma, or the food of the gods, has more than fifty stores, cafes, kiosks across India and counting. What we shouldn't be counting instead are our calories. But here is Kainas Mesman Harchandrai. telling us how one sweet tooth can turn into sweet fortune too kainas hi and welcome to the podcast finally it's so happy to have you here thank you very much namrita i'm really glad to be here um just i just have to correct you a teeny tiny bit it's yes. actually more than 80 stores now uh, not 50 stores uh, we've just opened in bangalore and uh, we've opened with two stores there I am very happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. So, Kainas, uh, both you and your sister Tina Mesman-Wikes had very successful careers. Uh, you in hotel management, Tina in uh, chartered accountancy. Yes. I know, of course, that food runs in your family because of your mom's home catering. Um, but how did you know that you wanted to start Theo Broma and get into food retail? um when did that conversation happen with the family and with yourself so honestly uh, namrita i didn't know i was actually uh, really very happy at the obroy group of hotels i had a wonderful job a great posting i was uh, you know pastry chef at the devilas which was at that time a fairly new hotel and uh, it was a very prestigious posting and uh, i was really doing well in the company but i had an unfortunate back accident which uh, the doctor said a back gave. accident yes that's correct um a back accident where uh, uh, you know my back my spine had given way and so uh, you know the doctors at that point told me that i couldn't be a chef anymore and so i took a year off um i uh, did everything i could to strengthen my back uh, swam every single day uh, for 365 days of the year and uh, you know that way strengthen my back and uh, then uh, i spoke to my family uh, about what i could do because i couldn't imagine my life outside the kitchen 
mm-hmm. um, uh, the kitchen is where I belong. And uh, so I just wanted to be able to cook again. And so we decided as a family that we would start a small patisserie, uh, which would allow me to work on my hours and a small neighborhood cafe. The idea for that was really because at that point of time, it was to give uh, and share food with others, the same food that we ourselves like to eat. And uh, at that point of time, there were all these uh, things that are big for bakery that was available only in five-star hotels. Uh, you couldn't get it outside of the five-star hotels. And so, um, again, the idea was to bring out that selection of foods and, and patisserie and, and bakery, uh, you know, different kinds of breads and things like that, that you would get there out onto the high street so that more yeah. people could enjoy it, uh, more people could, uh, you know, not make it a once in a year ritual or once in six months or whenever they would go visiting a five-star hotel in those days. Um, And so uh, we just wanted a small neighborhood cafe and never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine (laughs) that (laughs) I would have more than one, let alone over 80. Tell me me about the time Vikram Oberoi called you and said, don't leave the hotel chain. And he offered offered to send you to um, Austria, right? To train. How do you know that story? (laughs) (laughs) I read your book, Missy. Right. No, I was I was very, very grateful. Uh, I think uh, being a part of the Obroy family was uh, one of my proudest moments. And I'm still a very, very proud product of the Obroy Hotels. Uh, the advantage of uh, having passed out of the Obroy school uh, was uh, a closeness uh, and a connection with the uh, a direct connection with the Obroy family. And when I couldn't uh, be a chef anymore, um, you know, the hotel work was uh, was not, I was not able to do it. I was not able to stand long enough uh, yeah. to complete my duty, yeah. which would mean that I would be a not so great chef. Um, and uh, I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do a half-hearted job uh, for my work. And so... Um, uh, Mr. Obroy uh, called me and he said, uh, you know, please, uh, he offered me an, uh, a job in any other department that I wanted, whether it was food and beverage services, guest service management, housekeeping, uh, training, I could do whatever I wanted. I was even offered a job back at the Obroy school to teach. Um, at, at that time, I was uh, 24 years old and uh, I just couldn't imagine myself in any other form other than being a chef and in my chef whites. And so um, I had to, I had to decline. Um, Today uh, it would be a different story, you know, uh, but uh, I think uh, eventually like all things that worked out for the best, Uh, I was very sad to leave the Oberoi hotels. I still feel very connected to the company yeah, and, they're fantastic. Uh, they're they're just iconic, and they they set the standard for hospitality for me even today. Yeah, and so yeah. Um, and so uh, that's that's what happened. Uh, it's you know, like it, what they say: all good things end to make way for better things. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And, so uh, Theo Bruma, it's worked out wonderfully. <laughs> So Theo Broma, you launched in two thousand four, right? That was about sixteen, that's seventeen right. years ago. 
That's and, right. And and what a ride it's been from. It's a <laughs> sorry. It's been it's been a big roller coaster ride. Yes. <laughs> Our roller coaster just going upwards, of course, <laughs> from selling the humble but perfect brownie to eighty stores. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Namrata. Actually, it's not. Uh, I, I know it may seem that we've uh, grown, uh, you know, upwards only, but it, uh, the truth is uh, quite far from it. We've had a fair share of uh, downs uh, and quite badly <laughs> fallen down many, many times. Can you tell us some of them? Like what so, were the not yeah. great things? So it's not that it was not great. I uh, look at all the problems, the issues, the obstacles uh, that we have faced in business um, as great learning opportunities. Had they not been there, uh, I would not have been who I am today. I would not have learned what I know today and uh, probably not will not be on a path to learning what I will learn in the future. But give me, give me an example of a work crisis. So there have been many over the years uh, where I became a boss when I was 24 years old. And, 24 uh, years young. <laughs> and and uh, honestly, I was not prepared for it. Uh, from going to making, from moving to, uh, from the Obra hotels, making a few things a day, uh, you know, in a very specialized uh, environment, uh, you know, having the best of ingredients at my disposal and to, um, you know, having highly skilled trained staff work with me to going into an apartment uh, where we couldn't even afford to tile up the walls and, uh, you know, our landlords, uh, there were two landlords of the building. They were fighting. I had, uh, there was no other skill staff in the kitchen except for me who had been to school. Everybody else was untrained. They were brand new chefs and I was requiring them to make bakery and patisserie croissants, uh, Danish. I was requiring them to make baguettes and focaccia and, and, and mousse and tiramisu and they, they couldn't even spell out the names or they hadn't even ever heard them, let alone taste them. And they had to make it in the correct technical manner. So it was a, it was very, very difficult to do things at that point of time. Uh, you know, we, we couldn't even afford to air condition our whole apartment uh, because of the electricity load and the costs involved. And so we took my, it was my grandmother's apartment. It was a thin, slim corridor. It was the only part of the house we could afford to air condition. And that's what we did. And then that's so where we this, made. This is where your kitchen was when you yes. opened the aroma, your grandmother's apartment. That's right. That's I, I presume right. a stone's throw yes. away from, it was from just, the location. It was just across the road. And those were the good old Indian <laughs> and, and it was just across the road. Of course, the you know authorities found us soon enough, and then we were driven out <laughs> of there. Um, but I think uh, these are all learning paths. Of course, uh, today we we are very far away from that. Um, and then we moved into uh, you know another kitchen, uh, and then and there was learning every single day. I think uh, eighteen years on, seventeen years on, it's still a learning process, and that's what makes this uh, business so exciting. 
Uh, we were, you know, working seven days a week. Uh, we had a minimum of 14, 15 hours a day. Uh, yeah. It would easily stretch to 18. We, uh, we would sleep for a couple of hours and then come back to work. There was no respite. It was relentless. Uh, to the outside world, we were, uh, you know, very successful. There were lines outside our store. We were doing well. And uh, I could not be more grateful for that. But uh, at the back end and inside, we were really struggling. Um, we were so tired. <laughs> we, we, we didn't feel tired anymore, you know. So I think, um, but they were the times that taught us the most. And uh, dealing with people, you know, at hotels, you're fairly guarded. You meet a, a few guests uh, off and on uh, once in a while, but you're not uh, dealing with them every single day. Uh, here, there was a direct access. Uh, you know, there were no shields. Uh, you had to take every single comment. You had to deal with every single request, uh, whether it was uh, doable or not. We had to make it happen. And uh, it was it was a really, really fun time. Uh, it was the hardest I've ever worked in my life. But I think... Uh, <laughs> all, all for the love of... All, all for the for love, the love of, of food. Right? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I always, my sister always tells us that, uh, you know, we are not in the business of food. We are in the business of making people happy. And that's, uh, that's, that's our job. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you discovered making brownies quite serendipitously, right? Your mom made it for a neighbor and then mm. the city just went ballistic over it. <laughs> it didn't quite happen like that. But yes, uh, my mom made it for a neighbor who had lived in the States. And at that time, there was uh, there was no Instagram. There was no Facebook even. Um, you know, there was, there was nothing. And so your only source of recipes were... Uh, uh, you know, magazines that you found or uh, culinary books uh, that you found at, uh, you know, at, at uh, good bookstores. Um, and, Would you share uh, your recipes? Like you must put some like secret dangerous stuff in it. No, no, no secrets. Uh, our recipes are very simple. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't write a recipe book. And I've put, uh, you know, some of our iconic recipes at the end of, of my book. We've put yeah. about four or five recipes yeah. in the book. And uh, that is because uh, there's no real secret uh, in the ingredients. It's it's very no, simple, straightforward. No dangerous stuff. No addictive. No, <laughs> no <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and good old fashioned butter, cream, sugar, chocolate. Uh, you know all the all the good stuff. Uh, no nasties. And, no nasties. Uh, <laughs> I like to keep it that way. Kainas, I love that you've always used locally sourced ingredients, right? Nothing imported. But, you know, the last few years have sort of revolutionized the grocery shelves in India. But, you know, 16, 17 years ago, this must have been a tall ask, right? To just have only Indian products. Uh, yes, it, it was. It took us a long while to uh, find our suppliers, to develop a relationship with our suppliers and to ensure a constant flow. Uh, you know, uh, these these ingredients were so few and far between that we did have a lot of struggles in finding the right product. We still do, by the way. It's not, uh, it's not as apparent because, uh, you know, as we move from city to city, 
it's a, it's a whole pathfinding experience all over again. And uh, today I have the teams to help me do it. But uh, yes, when we started out, I was doing it myself. And I wouldn't say no imported ingredients at all. I think that is a, a, a bit, uh, there are a few, but let me put it this way. I'm not reliant on them. So today, for any reason, it stops or, you know, there, and this always happens once in a, a year, at least uh, the imports are always, uh, you know, there is a fluctuation, there's unavailability, uh, some regulation has changed. And so uh, we have to uh, overnight adapt to that. Uh, there's so a pandemic there's a pandemic. Uh, so, you know, these, uh, there's, there's some crisis or the other every year. And uh, if these ingredients do not become available for whatever reason, it's okay because uh, we've, uh, we are not reliant on them. And I think that has really, really helped us, um, you know, keep our prices honest, which I think yeah. is very important uh, and uh, maintain our quality. I want to be a little more nostalgic. Your first, <laughs> okay. your first cafe was at Kushrubag. Now, anyone who lives in Bombay um, knows the significance of Kushrubag. It's yeah. an iconic, like Parsi Trust uh, housing complex. It's lush green. It's statuesque, and it's very posh in the hierarchy of bags, right? <laughs> so, was it intentional? Did you want that? You know, Kulaba, of course, is just the most charming place in Bombay. But Kushubag is like a double win, don't you? Think? It is a beautiful space. It's an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful uh, green oasis right in the middle of uh, heart of the city. So uh, it is very calm and quiet inside. And uh, no, it was not by design. Uh, okay. it, uh, uh, most people assumed that uh, because we had our store in Kushubag, uh, we also lived there. But uh, that's not true. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we lived about, uh, you know, half a kilometer away from Kushubag. However, uh, you know, we were looking for when we were looking for properties, uh, there was a doctor's clinic that became available at uh, Kushubag. Okay. Um, and uh, the doctor was moving away uh, from India to live with his son in Australia. So he wanted to sell his property. And uh, at that time, of course, our goal was only to have that one single shop. So uh, this was the only property that we actually bought. My parents bought it. And, uh, you know, we said that we run the store from there. And uh, we had three tables to begin with in the first store that was ever built. And I remember one of our biggest worries were, all right, we have this property. It's on a Pagri system which uh, is a system where uh, you own it, but the trust uh, is a co-owner of it. And so you have to pay monthly rent uh, as well as uh, even though you are an owner. And so, um, uh, you know, when, when we got this property, we had these three tables and we were scratching our heads wondering how are we going to fill these three tables throughout the day? Because, uh, you know, we are paying rent and uh, rent doesn't stop for anything. And uh, who's going to come throughout the day? They might come sometime in the morning or sometime in the evening, but the rest of the day, no, nobody will come. And, uh, you know, I think we were we were very wrong and very far away from that uh, that supposed reality because of the cues <laughs> i was in those a couple of times <laughs> and they were they were really good days yes 
So the book that you and Tina wrote, Baking a Dream, the Theo Broma story, of course, I read it when, when it was out. And it's, much, um, it's as much a story of Theo Broma as it is, um, you know, a story of growing up Parsi, living in a Parsi family. Do yes. you think your culture, your community would, has shaped you a little differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I think... In so many ways, uh, you know, um, uh, Parsis have the basic tenets of their, of their uh, uh, religion, which says uh, good thoughts, good deeds, uh, good words. Uh, I also add a fourth tenet secretly to my life, which is good food, uh, which is also what most Parsis anyway believe. Um, you know, they, they celebrate with food, they moan with food, uh, you know, uh, the the. World famous dhansak is actually a uh, food to be had during morning. Um, so, uh, yes, and of course, now it's just become an iconic Sunday lunch in, in all Parsi homes. But yeah. Um, yeah, generally, on the fourth day after a person passes away, that it, it's a must that you must have uh, dhansak and it, and it better be a non vegetarian dhansak. So, there's no such thing as vegetarian <laughs> food for Parsis. Uh, right? No, there isn't. There's a Vegetarian dish means throw in a tomato. Uh, it means uh, a, a potato, actually. <laughs> potato and eggs is vegetarian. <laughs> it's better than go home and eat. So yes. So yes, I think uh, a lot of that has uh, shaped uh, shaped my life. Yeah. These four tenants have really shaped my life. And uh, of course, uh, you know, my family is a little bit eccentric as all Bawas are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, but they also uh, love to feed uh parsis love to feed people and i think that has really really helped uh, me in my business because uh, it's also a principle that we practice uh, in in our business every day Uh, you know the aim is to make as many people as we can happy and we can feed as many people as we possibly can so um, I think that has really helped. Uh, you know, my parents have always been uh, great, uh, uh, you know, bastions of charity. They've always uh, given back to society and they do it quietly. That also comes from our Parsi learnings uh, to give back to society. Yeah. And uh, I think these uh, principles have really helped us in our business and uh, it's allowed us but more importantly i think it's allowed us to meet these wonderful people who uh, you know who have walked in maybe as guests or customers of theobroma but they are now genuinely uh, our closest friends and so uh, i could not be more grateful for the journey that i've had and the people that i've met you know, you speak of family and, and I know your mom is such a strong influence, right? I mean, I think it's it's wonderful that both Tina and you, you know, are women. And I say first generation business women in that you have an inherited, you know, a mammoth business. But you always say that your mom is your knight in shining armor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, my I was born to a very strong mom. Uh, yeah. She was uh, very strict with us, and really? she uh, yes, but she she didn't she didn't raise us as uh, you know her daughters. I mean, both my parents actually. It's not just my mom, my father and my mother. They 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 didn't raise us as their daughters. They raised us as their children, and we were never told that you you cannot do something. You can do whatever you want. 
but the expectation was that you would do it well and you would make something out of it. So uh, that was very clear. And so, um, uh, you know, they never stopped us. When I told my parents that I wanted to be a chef in those days, there, there were barely any women chef, yeah. uh, chefs. And uh, they didn't even bait an eyelid. They just asked me, are you sure? And I said, yes. And they said, okay, fine, then go on. And, uh, you know, it never occurred to them that, uh, you know, how I would survive in a, you know, male-dominated uh, profession. It was not even a discussion um, yeah. in the household. It was, okay, you're sure, then let's do it. And that was it. <laughs> so yes, I think that's very um, lucky. I, we are incredibly lucky to have been born uh, to the parents that we have. And, uh, you know, no matter what, whether it was even in school, whether it was any sport or, uh, you know, anything uh, that, that took our interest, we were allowed to do it. Uh, you know, we never had deadlines to come back home uh, as long as my parents knew where we were um, and who we were with. Uh, so there was no question of, uh, you know, uh, any, uh, you know, lying to our parents or, you know, uh, coming home later than was expected. And our parents gave us all the freedom that we wanted. And uh, I think that has really worked because uh, I would say on the on the balance, on the whole, I don't think we, uh, me or my sister, we ever misused that freedom. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, I think uh, it was a great it was a great childhood. <laughs> so both both Tina and you have kids and and I know this question is a bit of a cliche because men don't get asked this mm-hmm. but they don't even pop babies. Um, <laughs> so is it hard to have this mammoth retail business and be a mom at the same time? I think I think it is. Uh, it's not uh, I wouldn't say it comes easy to uh, either of us. Uh, it's uh, it's a struggle. We we fight to maintain a balance in our lives. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't uh, normally have any evening commitments because I want to come home to my child. Uh, I try and wind up. Of course, uh, I try not to work on weekends. We try to take holidays uh, together as many as uh, the school will allow us so that uh, we can, uh, you know, be together and have some family time. So it is, it's not that we just have it all and we do it all. It's not that. Uh, There are certain days where there is, uh, you know, a choice to make. Uh, Of course, uh, our children are always our first priority, but uh, there are some days where the business really needs us. And, uh, you know, uh, today it's easier because we have a professional team running it. We have a professional CEO. Um, We have good skilled people working with us, uh, you know, people of good, uh, good backgrounds. Um, So it has definitely become easier in that sense. But it is still a struggle because there are many demands uh, when you are in retail. Retail is, you know, uh, all your holidays are are big business days. uh, um, Weekends are big business days. But uh, we've tried to strike a balance. And somehow, sometimes we succeed at it and sometimes we fail. So I wouldn't say that every day we've got it all or we've managed to pull it through. 
it's a, it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> Was the transition to retail difficult in that, you know, you said you worked at the Oberoi and then the home catering business. What did the transition teach you? What lessons did you learn from it? so many <laughs> but i think uh, yes it, it it was a very difficult transition uh, because uh, like i said earlier at the obroy there was unrestricted access to anything and everything that we wanted yeah. we just had to tell our purchase department what we wanted and it would be there uh, at retail it is not so uh the demands are very different uh just the sheer impact that you can have on the number of people is uh, you know 10 fold 50 fold so it's 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 very different then you are dealing with all different kinds of people uh with different requests different dietary requirements uh you know uh, a different a uh, different background so you have to be able to manage and take that all in your stride you also like i said there is no barrier in in hotels you have several barriers before the guest can reach the back end production um in in retail there is no such barrier uh you know uh, and when it is your business there is no there is no job description in hotels you you would have one job description and that's your job but uh, when you it's your business uh, your own your only job description is to get the job done so, so whether everything, everything so whether it's cleaning the tables or it's cleaning your bathrooms when they are dirty or doing the production because your chef is ill or has quit um you know uh, or handling the cash uh, at the cashier's desk it, it can be anything it's a wide range and you have to do it all and you cannot say that this is not my job so i think uh, you know there have been many many such lessons uh, and i i i think it's it's wonderful it's uh, exciting it's uh, you learn every day No, and as you're very sweet and very humble, <laughs> no. because because none of your cafes, no. none of your stores have had a loss making day. Which no, your, that's um, not true. That's your, not your your <laughs> annual revenue growth has been up to thirty five percent, and this is why. And I read this because uh, this is why your ICICI Ventures funding came in in twenty seventeen, right? Yes. Yes, but that was not always the case, Nanda. It was a struggle to reach there as well. Uh, it took us a year and a half for around to break even in our first store, um, and then uh, every time we enter a city, it does still take us a year to uh, break even. Because uh, thing is that uh, before we enter a city, it is very important to us that our foundation and back end is strong. so a major investment happens in the back end yeah. it doesn't happen i mean it is of course in the front end as well but for us the 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 laboratory or the kitchen that we build has to be absolutely solid so it's it tell us tell us about the funding story was it easy was it tough uh it was a journey <laughs> we were by no means ready for funding we didn't know what funding was or what private equity was when we uh sort of uh, set out on that journey we uh, got interested in it or we got educated in it i would say was because our first professional ceo 
who had done his chartered accountancy with my sister, uh, was from private equity. He was a family friend. Uh, we'd known him for years. And um, he became uh, our CEO. And it was really uh, Cyrus, that is his name. And it was really Cyrus that uh, took us on the journey or who allowed us to dream that uh, we would be able to get private equity. Uh, we were in all essence a mom and pop shop. <laughs> and uh, he he built it from five stores, uh, you know, to about uh, 20, 18 or 20 before we got private equity interested. Um, and then, too, we were a very small investment. But I think somewhere for us, it was very important that we find the right private equity partners. And uh, I couldn't be happier that we found uh, ICICI Ventures or rather they found us or believed in our story enough to invest. How did it add to your scale? So, of course, uh, uh, what was happening was the way we operated before private equity came in was we would build out a store. um, And once that store broke even and started making money, we would collect that money uh, after all, all our expenses. And once we had enough money, to build us next store, we would build the next store. That's how we were operating before private equity. And uh, the bakery uh, business in India was just seeing an uptick at that point of time. And so we had an option. Either we continue just like that and become a small, you know, medium size, a small family-owned business um, with a few stores, or uh, we get financial funding uh, from the right partners, and uh, we expand at a more rapid rate. And so that's what happened. So we had to uh, create for the first time a business plan. We had to create, uh, you know, do have some projections, uh, uh, you know, Tina and Cyprus being chartered accountants at that point of time were able to do some projections for us. So it was a very basic thing. We also hired an investment banker, again, someone known to us uh, who we liked and trusted. And so we hired him and then he uh, helped us, uh, Candle Partners, he helped us, uh, you know, uh, meet people from the private equity world. And then when we met uh, ICICI Ventures, uh, I think it it just clicked. Uh, They understood who we were, where we came from. And they promised me one thing, that they would never, ever interfere with the product quality. And they were willing to even, uh, you know, uh, wait for expansion if it affected uh, quality. quality. And uh, I think uh, they have really, really kept to their promise. Uh, They have been great partners for us, given us uh, the right, uh, you know, right direction when we needed uh, it and, uh, you know, uh, stepped out when they were not required. And I think that that really, really has kept us engaged uh, and committed to the business as much as it has kept them. So um, we are very proud to uh, have. And again, ICICI Ventures is a, a domestic fund. So we are very uh, happy to uh, be part, uh, part of their story as well. And now we have our second professional CEO, who is also fabulous and uh, has taken our business uh, to the next level. 
and uh, pulled us out of a pandemic. Uh, he was one month old in the organization when the pandemic struck. That's scary. Uh, it was. <laughs> Uh, but uh, he not only pulled us out, he made sure that we were operating within three weeks of shutting down um, and really, really uh, made sure that uh, the business became fungible. Uh, the nature of the business changed, uh, you know, just very much like how the aviation industry changed after 9-11. I th- think after the pandemic, the hospitality industry has changed yeah. for good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was uh, very, very quick to manage this change. Our first priority was, of course, to keep the staff safe, keep the employees, uh, uh, you know, all okay, and, uh, you know, put in all the social, uh, you know, uh, COVID protocols so uh, so that our guests also remain safe when they came to us. And uh, we were more, uh, you know, brick and mortar business. Uh, Now we still are in some sense, but a lot of it has now moved online. Uh, We have our own brand store, we, you know, website. All this happened in the pandemic year. Uh, And of course, we have a lot of uh, e-commerce partners as well. And so that has uh, really changed our business. Where does Theo Broma go from here? Where do you see the company in 2025? So a lot. Uh, we have a very clear target. Uh, we are going to double our revenues uh, from this financial year in 2025. Nice. Uh, That's ambitious. <laughs> it is. It is. But uh, we are very confident uh, that, uh, you know, we will uh, continue to, uh, you know, keep, keep our quality, which is very important for us, and, uh, uh, you know, continue to expand in a, in a measured and sensible way. Uh, we do not franchise at all. I don't know. Uh, we have no immediate plans of ever franchising. We want to be in all the metro cities, but we also equally want to be in the tier two cities, uh, which I believe has great potential. Yeah. And, um, you know, the growth story is actually there. Um, so uh, to me, I think we are just beginning on this journey of uh, growth. And, uh, you know, we want to continue to innovate um, with every... Uh, there was a time where Theobroma only celebrated uh, Diwali and Christmas. And yeah. all the other uh, events uh, throughout the year were, you know... There were small festivals, so we might have done something small for it, but not really celebrated it. Uh, Today, I'm very proud to say that we celebrate all the festivals. We do an average of two festivals a month, which means, uh, you know, uh, at least two new things in a month um, at Theobroma. And that's, uh, that's a big win for the product. Uh, So we want to continue to innovate, uh, but, uh, innovate in the with the Theobroma product, which is uh, uh, classic, simple, and uh, honestly priced. And uh, hopefully we can also uphold our warm service uh, to everybody. Thank you, Kainas. It's been wonderful chatting. I want to meet you back again at the Kushru Bag uh, store or at the swimming pool, whichever Definitely. you prefer. <laughs> We are always there on the weekends. Uh, I bring my daughter there so she gets to choose a cupcake and, uh, you know, and then we come home and eat it. (laughs) 
Sweet. Thanks Thank for our wonderful conversation Thank and you. see you soon. Thank you for having me. All Namaste. the best. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed the show or not, write to me on Instagram, Twitter or Clubhouse at Namrita Sitar. You can catch the video podcast on the Lightning channel on YouTube. For updates on Tell Me How You Did It, follow us at HT Smartcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariye se. This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.